Joseph is now Prime Minister in Egypt and has been reunited with his father and brothers. Joseph's elderly father, Jacob, gathers his 12 sons around him to bless them before he dies. To Joseph, Jacob said, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring, whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the almighty who blesses you. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph and his brothers buried their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, the land God promised to Abraham and his descendants before returning to Egypt. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Thank you. Thanks so much. And welcome to our final episode in this amazing technicolored story of Joseph's life. What an amazing story he lived. More highs and lows than Alton Towers, right? More twists and turns than Strictly Come Dancing which I don't watch, I hasten to add. This has been an extraordinary story. And um, to finish off, I want to start by giving a recap of the highlights of Joseph's life. And I want to actually use some of the visuals. Whilst we've been learning as adults, our children's team have done an amazing job to teach the Joseph story to our kids. And I know that they've been using Joseph's wardrobe to tell the story, the different kind of clothing that he wore in the different seasons of his life. So to help me tell the story, there'll be a few visuals from the children's work. We begin with, this is our young man, Joseph. Age 17, he got the coat from his dad, Jacob, and he got the dreams from God, telling him that one day he would be raised up and his 11 older brothers would bow down before him. 
but it quickly became a nightmare. Remember, the dream became a nightmare. The brothers beat him up. They stripped off the robe. Now you can see Joseph in his boxer shorts. Uh, They stripped off his robe. They threw him down a well. Actually, one of the questions that's come up in the children's work is, did Joseph have a belly button, which is one of those mysteries of life. We'll never know the answer to this. But anyway, they threw him down a well. They then sold him to some Egyptian traders on the ancient equivalent of eBay. Joseph is taken down to Egypt as a slave, and he rises up instead of giving up in Potiphar's house. And here you can now see him. He is adopting the Egyptian clothes, and he is rising up in a very influential household in Egypt. Here he rises to senior level of responsibility, only for the desperate housewife. You remember her? Potiphar's wife takes a shine to Joseph. You can see what she saw in him after all, can't you? Handsome young man. And uh, she tries to pull him into the sack uh, with her and uh, says, you know, come to bed with me in that seductive voice that I still can't do. Uh, And he refused. Remember, we saw Joseph pass the test of temptation. He refused. She accused And so he was thrown into jail, accused of attempted rape. There in prison, though, the Lord was with Joseph. And having given him a dream when he was 17, the Lord now enables him to interpret dreams. First for the butler and the baker. And then, of course, the mighty Pharaoh has dreams. Joseph is called out of prison. He interprets the dreams as being seven years of boom. We're going to have seven years of harvest. Then seven years of bust, seven years of famine, and suddenly our boy Joseph goes from being a prisoner to being a prime minister over all of this superpower of Egypt. What a difference a day makes, right? Here is now Joseph with the latest touchscreen tablet uh, ruling, (laughs) ruling over. Joseph is now in charge of Egypt. And he orchestrates one of the greatest famine relief strategies in, the, in human history. And eventually, in the years of famine, all the nations of the earth start trickling down to Egypt. It's the one place in the world you can get food because of Joseph saving thousands of lives in the process. And among the people who trickled down to Egypt was, of course, lo and behold, those older brothers. They make their way down to get food And they discover that they're actually standing in front of their brother, who they thought they'd ruined and destroyed. He's now prime minister. What a moment. In probably the most moving scene in the whole Bible, Joseph is reconciled with his brothers. He embraces them. He forgives them. He he embraces them in love. And as a result, the whole of the family moved down to Egypt from Canaan to Cairo. The brothers and Joseph's long-lost father are all reunited for the final 40s and 50s of Joseph's life. He's living with his family back together in Egypt. Surely the happiest years of this technicolored life of Joseph. Let's hear it for our children's team. Haven't they done a great job? Amazing work. While we've been learning in here, our kids have been loving it out there. So we're so excited then to finish this series by looking finally at how to finish well. Joseph's got one final big lesson to teach all of us how to finish well. That might be finishing a season of life, finishing 2017 well, finishing a job or a course or a career. Or it might be, as in Joseph's case, reaching the very end of life without regrets, finishing the whole thing well. 
Joseph is exceptional in this regard. You know, in the Bible and in real life today, many people can make a good start, but it's a bit more of a challenge to make a great end, isn't it? So often people get started well, and then they hit either a trial and they give up, or a temptation and they give in, and they end up with regrets and disappointments. Joseph ruled for 80 years at the top under pressure and responsibility. For 80 years, there was no scandal. He cleared every hurdle to finish blessed and without regrets. Don't you want that for your life? His own father, Jacob, described it this way. Joseph, he said, Joseph is a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over the wall. Joseph hit a few brick walls in his life, as I'm sure will we at times, but his branches climbed over the wall and he bore fruit and was blessed in spite of every challenge. So as the curtain comes down at the end of Joseph's life, through every trial that he's been, the curtain closes with this blessed, fruitful, happy man. He's bouncing his great-grandsons on his knee in the final scene. Here is a man who has finished well. Now, we all love a story with a happy ending, I'm sure. But more importantly, don't you want your story? Don't I want my story to have a happy ending? I want to finish well. Well, if that's your prayer, in fact, I've just on the screen, as you can see, just put a little prayer here. I wonder if we could say this together. If this is your prayer today, praying over this final lesson from Joseph, then let's say this prayer together. Let's say this. God, make me a fruitful vine overcoming life's challenges to finish well. Amen. Well, if that's your prayer, here are three simple principles from the life of Joseph on how to finish well. Firstly, to finish well, it's about priorities. Live with the end in sight. Live with the end in sight. You may have noticed that in the final scenes of Joseph's life, two of them are deathbed scenes, as first Jacob, his father, reaches the end of his life, And then finally, Joseph reaches the end of his life, and it reminds us that one day we're going to reach the end of our lives, right? So live with the end in sight. Think now, how do I want to finish? And then work back and say, well, in that case, how should I be prioritizing things today? That's a really good way to do life. Think ahead, folks. What do you want be, to be written on your gravestone, right? And then work back from there. What do you want to be said at your funeral? And then work back from there. Every story will have an ending. What do you want that to be? Live with the end in sight. Speaking of what's said at a funeral, I heard of a village in Italy, and it was really overrun by crime and corruption because of the mafia, and there were two mafia brothers that were the ringleaders. And one day, one of these brothers died, and so the other one went to the local Catholic priest and said, I want you to take my brother's funeral, and I want you to say in the eulogy that my brother was a saint, right? So the Catholic priest is in a very difficult position. The, The mafia brother goes on to say, if you will say this, I would think about a £100,000 gift is coming to your church. If you won't say this, I can't promise what will happen to you and your church. Okay? Anyway, the Catholic priest turns up, does the funeral, and in the eulogy, he concludes the eulogy with these clever words. The Catholic priest said this, of this dead mafia brother, this man was a criminal, an adulterer, a murderer, a thief who never paid his taxes and never cared for anyone. But compared to his older brother, 
this man was a saint. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what, joking aside, what do you want said at yours, right? Live with the end in sight. Now, did you notice that as the end comes into view for Jacob and Joseph, particularly thinking of Jacob now, notice what Jacob spends his final hours of investment doing. As soon as it's clear that Jacob is soon to die, the family are called in. The grandsons, Joseph's boys, come in, and he takes time to pray over them and bless them and speak truth into their lives. That's what matters with the end in sight. Then Joseph and all of his brothers come in, and one after another, which takes a while if you've got a dozen boys, right? One after another, he goes with each of them, speaking God's truth and praying over their lives. This takes up whole chapters in the Bible, as if to say, with the end in sight, this is what really matters. Notice Jacob is not on social media, seeing how many likes and shares he's had. In the end, that won't matter so much. Notice he is not phoning the office about work. Notice that no one on their deathbed wishes they'd spent more time at the office, right? Notice he's not calling in the accountant to say, so how much have I made? In the end, it's like monopoly money, right? You can't take it with you. What ultimately matters is family. And I mean that in two senses. As Dave preached last week, it's about the spiritual family, the church. You will never regret an investment made in God's family. It's going to last forever. And you will never regret an investment made of truth, an investment of time, of attention in your own families and friendships as we take time to speak truth and hope and pray with our families and friends, we're doing things that with the end in sight will always matter. Amen? So live with the end in sight. Sort out priorities today that you will never regret in the end. It takes sometimes experiences in life to kind of force us to think about this. Otherwise, we can get caught up with the urgent and always neglect the important. I, I read a book by Howard Routledge, who was a US pilot shot down in the Vietnam War and put in a prisoner of war camp, and he feared that that would be the end of his life. It wasn't, but in a book he wrote afterwards, he wrote this um, of that experience. During long periods of forced reflection, it was easy to see the important from the trivial. In the past, I usually worked hard on Sundays and had no time to go to church with my wife and family. I was just too busy to think about really important things like, is there a God and what's my purpose in life? But now, with the end in sight, I wanted to know about the part of me that will never die. Live with the end in sight. Think about this week on a daily basis, what priorities do I want to have so that when I reach the end, no regrets? And part of that, a big part of that, is spiritually investing in our families as we see with Jacob. I have a sort of a, an arrangement with my daughter uh, who, um, at bedtime particularly, can ask for tab time. This is sort of our code language. Tab stands for talk about the Bible, right? And the deal is that if she says, Dad, can we have some tab time, I'll try and make time from whatever else I'm doing, to talk about not just the Bible, but the big things on her mind and the questions that she has. And I have to be honest, 
and I think she's listening, so I'll be careful, but I have to be honest that sometimes I'm more aware of all of the other things that I have on my list of things I need to do. It can feel a bit inconvenient, but actually when you turn aside and you just spend time with your family and friends talking about the things that really matter, listening and sharing, you come away from that and you think, that is what I will never regret. Amen? If I'm too busy to do that, I'm just too busy, full stop. (laughs) These are the things that really matter. Priorities live with the end in sight. I wonder, is there one priority that you could put into your diary right now for this coming week and say, whatever else happens, this is important and it's not going to get squeezed out by the urgent. I'm going to live with the end in sight. What a difference that could make to our homes, our families, our children, our neighbors, our friends. Amen? Priorities, live with the end in sight. And then secondly, perspective. If we want to finish well, we need to see the bigger picture. Joseph, in Genesis 50, the final chapter of his story, Joseph gives an extraordinary view over the whole of his life, which I want to describe as sort of the God's eye view that Joseph discovered that really enabled him to finish life free from any bitterness and blessed in the end. Have you ever had one of those moments where you've got above it all to see some beautiful panoramic view that makes sense of all the mess beneath. I don't know if you've had those moments. I remember climbing in winter in Scotland one year, and we started in the mist um, and in the cold and in the snow. This was the middle of summer in Scotland, right? Uh, We started down there in the the mist and the snow, and I remember we we had a guide, actually, because we were taking on a, a harder climb than normal, and the guide led us a route that went all the way around the mountain to the far back side of it, and I... I couldn't understand, why are we going this way? I was frustrated, I had blisters. And then as we began to climb quite an intimidating ice gully, my frustration turned to fear. I was scared, right? Why are we doing this? I don't want to do this anymore. But eventually we kept going and we made it to the top. And as we reached the far um, horizon, and we topped out into this glorious sunshine. You can see a picture here of us just approaching the summit. That's me in the lead there picking our way up to the final. These are magical moments. You don't get this very often in Scotland, I can tell you. And it made it all worth it. When you reach these moments, you think the blisters, the pain, it was all worth it. From the summit, we could look down, and now I could understand why the guide had led us the long way around, right? Joseph finishes his life on a mountaintop moment where he gets a big picture view of his whole life and says, now I understand how the whole thing makes sense. From here I can say, it was worth it. To the very brothers who tried to ruin his life, to those very brothers, Joseph says these words. Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. What an extraordinary Himalayan theology view of life, don't you think? He gets this bigger perspective and looks out over the whole thing. He'd been up some pretty tough gullies and down some pretty dark valleys, but now he stands above it all and he realizes, now I know why the guide led us the long way round, right? I.e. God. Now I understand that there was a plan all along. 
There was a purpose. God's purpose was working through the tough stuff to bring us to where we now are, the saving of many lives. Now, if we can get this perspective, if we can get this change of perspective, I believe it can set us free from a lot of regret and getting stuck in the past and stuck with guilt or shame or bitterness or resentment. I believe a change of perspective, if we could just glimpse a God's eye view of our lives, it could set us free to finish well a life of purpose and meaning through God. So how do we get the perspective? That's the obvious question, isn't it? Okay, so the perspective could really set me free. How do I get that perspective on my life? Well, I believe from this passage, you've got to understand something, and then you've got to do something. Firstly, you've got to understand something. God is sovereign. Understand that God is sovereign. Now, when we say that of a monarch, a king or a queen, we know roughly what we mean. We mean that they are our sovereign in the sense that they rule over a realm in which they are sovereign, and we are their subjects, right? They have a rule. They're not, they're not causing everything that happens in that realm, but they're in charge of everything that happens. People still do stuff that the king or queen wouldn't want them to do, but they're ultimately sovereign over it. God is our creator king. He is sovereign over this world and everyone and everything in it. God is sovereign. Now, he doesn't cause everything that happens in this world. He is, not everything that happens is his will, but he's in charge. He is sovereign and rules over it all. And here's Joseph's revelation. And I believe if you get this for your own life, it can really bring freedom, a change of perspective. Here's his revelation. God is not just sovereign over the things that are done that are good things. He's so sovereign, he even rules over the bad things that happen. Not that he causes them, but he can use them. Notice the difference. God is the great recycler. He can take the rubbish stuff, the things that have been broken, and he can make something new out of it. That's our sovereign God. What does Joseph say to the brothers? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. What's his point? His point is from where he's now standing, he can understand and see that through it all, God's purpose was at work. Even through the horrible stuff that the brothers did to him, God was weaving and working a plan to bring good out of bad. Isn't that extraordinary? From where Joseph's standing, it's like he steps back and says, wow, God has won the day after all. In spite of the wrong things that you've done to me, great things have come out of it because our God is sovereign. He can work good out of bad. He doesn't cause it, but he can use it. The brothers then, Joseph stands over them and says, brothers, don't you see? Can't you get this change of perspective? They've lost perspective. They've lost themselves in their guilt and their shame. And he says, can't you see a different perspective? God's worked it all for good. Brothers, can't you see that out of what you did to me, thousands of lives have been saved? Brothers, can't you see that in the end, good has won, God has won, in spite of what you did wrong? Brothers, can't you see? 
Of course, the brothers can't see because in verse 18, we're told that they came in and they fell down before Joseph on their faces and said, we are your servants. Hello. (laughs) Remember that? I just said the brothers fell down before Joseph and bowed down and said, we're your servants. Flashback. Remember the dream? 17 years of age. What was it? God promised that one day you'll be raised up and your brothers will bow down before you. Right at the very end of his life, that dream is coming to pass just in a way that no one could possibly have predicted, right? God's purpose prevailed. As Joseph gives this speech that God is sovereign, right in the very moment they're living the dream. Now this is all to say, God is sovereign over the things that we face in our lives. You may be going through some tough stuff right now Listen, this change of perspective can bring a whole new way of seeing things. God, in and through the tough stuff, I believe you're working everything for good. This is a promise from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It's almost like it's picking up on the Joseph story and applying it to us. We simply read this. God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God works, can you say it with me, all things, all things. He's that sovereign. He can use all things and work it for good. One of the ways I've been helped to understand this verse, imagine this picture you can see on the screen here is an entangled sort of mess of threads and loose ends. And as you can see in and of itself, it just seems chaotic and messy. And life can feel a bit like this sometimes from our perspective. But if you change perspective and turn this over, what you realize is, as the next picture shows, actually, the other side is a beautiful tapestry, a symbol of sovereignty. It's as if to say, we see this one side and at times struggle to make sense of it, but God is the great weaving and working sovereign God. He's working to bring something beautiful out of all of these threads. He can even weave the dark threads of difficult times into the beautiful tapestry of our lives if we'll let him. Even the tough stuff he can use and turn into good stuff. Do you believe that? God is sovereign. He works all things. He weaves all things together for good. I think, as I say this, of Linda, who's part of our Kingsgate congregation. Linda has written a book or had a co-authored a book, which I recommend. I've been reading it, Cheating Death and Living Life. Her story of some pretty dark threads, some really tough stuff, violence and abuse and drugs and all sorts of stuff. And yet, out of it, God has saved her and transformed her. This book has now helped many other lives of people who thought there was no hope and now they realize that there is. God didn't cause that stuff in Linda's life, but he certainly used it. Not just in the book, but in the ministry called Cherish. And there are people being baptized today because of that ministry. God is sovereign, right? This isn't just a thing of the past. It's working today in Peterborough. God is sovereign. He works all things together for good. In Peterborough and Leicester and Cambridge and London and Cafe Church, God works all things together for good. When we put our confidence in him, he can recycle even the rubbish and the tough stuff and make something new out of it. 
Now, can you see how this change of perspective enables Joseph to finish well? He's no longer stuck in the past, feeling stuck in those things that were done to him. He's able to say, actually, those things, however hard they may have been, they will not define me. God will finish my life. He is the final word on who I am. I'm not a victim. I'm not just a statistic. I am a work, a tapestry of God. And therefore, I'm not stuck with my past. I can move on. I can be free from it to live a new life under the sovereignty of God. You've got to understand something, and then you've got to do something. Then you've got to do something. You see, this doesn't just automatically happen for us. God works all things together for good for those who love him. When someone comes before their sovereign, the natural thing to do is to surrender, right? This is the posture of someone before their sovereign. It's a surrendering of your life to their will and purpose. And if today you choose to hold on to your life, to try and fix it and control it and keep it to yourself... You can end up just wrapped up and entangled in all those loose threads. Or you can bring your life before the sovereign God and say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. Take it all, the mess and everything. And do you know what he says? I can make something beautiful out of that. Have you seen some of God's tapestries? Have you seen some of his trophies recycled from rubbish and made beautiful and new? We serve a sovereign God who's got a purpose for our lives, and when we surrender to him, we get to discover what that is. Some of us today need a change of perspective. See the bigger picture. God is sovereign. And then finally, in Joseph's story, priorities live with the end in sight. Perspectives see the bigger picture. And then finally, to finish well, promised land, Joseph knew where he was going. The very final words of Joseph's life sound like a bit of a disappointing anticlimax, right? You may have heard them in our reading. He begins to go off on one in his final speech about what he wants done with his bones hundreds of years later. What's this old man talking about, I hear you ask? Well, listen to what he said. This is in the very end of his story. Now these are his final words. Joseph said to his brothers... I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up from this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Then you must carry my bones up from this place. This is not some senile moment at the end of his life. No, 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 no. This is his final act of great faith. Joseph knows that God's people do not belong in Egypt God had promised Israel a promised land. And he is confident that even though he's going to die here in Egypt, one day, he says, God is coming. He's going to deliver us from this land of suffering and struggle, and he's going to take us home. And when he does, Joseph says, make sure you take my bones with you. Notice, it's faith. It's Joseph looking up at the end of his life and saying, I know where ultimately I'm going. I'm not staying here. When I die, I don't just rot. No, 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 no. I'm going home. God's got a home for his people. Beyond the story of this life, we will enter the real story. Now, one day, hundreds of years later, God did set Israel free through the Exodus event. And Moses and God's people left Egypt 
entered the promised land of Canaan, and with them they carried Joseph's bones. He ended up in the promised land. But that was just a picture for our benefit. It was just a signpost pointing to the real meaning, which is this. God has an ultimate plan for this world. He's going to put all wrongs right, and he's going to create a new creation, a new earth and heavens in which all God's people will find home again. We are away from home right now. We're based here, but we don't belong here. But one day, we're going home. And this will not be spirits wafting around in clouds. Notice Joseph shows us this is about bones and bodies and physical, real people enjoying a real paradise forever. And notice this is not make-believe, wishful thinking. In the resurrection of Jesus, God has already got started with new creation. He's already begun what one day we will fully enjoy. And if you put your faith in Jesus today, you become new creation on the inside until that day when you will become new creation, body and soul, and enter the perfect place God has for us. Joseph looks up and says, I know where I'm going. Can I ask you today, do you know where you're going? As you think about the end, do you have an assurance, a confidence that you know where you're going? The end of Joseph's story in the Bible is not a full stop, it's just a comma. One day he knows, I'm going home. And today if you put your faith in Jesus, you also can know the hope of going home to the ultimate place that God has prepared for all his people, the real promised land. To finish well, just like Joseph, you've got to know where you're going. And today, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can live with a peace and a confidence of a hope that nothing can take away. Amen? So Joseph's finishing well is about priorities. Live with the end in sight. It's about perspective. See the bigger picture of God's sovereign plan. It's about promised land. Know where you're going. And as we finish not just this message, but the whole series on Joseph, I was thinking, how do you bring this one into land? You know, what, how do you finish such a great story? And while I was thinking about that, my son was reading a book, and he showed me an extract from it. And uh, you can see this little extract on the screen, and you might even be able to read it, which is the point. Here you can look at this. According to a researcher at Cambridge University, it doesn't matter in what order the letters in a word are. Are you with me? Yeah? The only important thing is that the first and last letter be in the right place. The rest in the middle can be a total mess, and you can still make sense of it all. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) I think we'll finish the Joseph series on this point. God was the first thing in Joseph's life. He created him with a purpose for his life. He was no accident. God gave him a dream and said, I've got a plan for you, boy. And despite all of the mess in the middle, the things that Joseph couldn't understand and would have felt very confusing, God was with him through the whole thing and brought his life to a finishing point so that the whole thing made sense in the end. And I want to say that's not just true for Joseph's story, that can be true for our story too. God is our creator. You are not an accident 
He got your life going, and he's got a purpose for it. And despite some of the mess in the middle, sometimes because we've messed up, and sometimes others have messed our lives up too, despite the confusing mess in the middle, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God can be the final word on your life and make the whole thing make sense in Jesus' name. Our story, like Joseph's, can reach a blessed conclusion because of Jesus. We can finish well. Amen.